everyone. Welcome to the Booze and Boobs podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Katrina. Thanks for joining us today as we talk about some of our favorite horror movies. We created this podcast as a way to give women more of a voice in horror. Men dominate most industries, especially film and television. And that also goes for podcasts. We'll focus on female characters, motivations, or just expectations placed on women in horror, even if the situation is happening to a man. We're excited you're here, and we hope you love it. Now let's get to today's movie. Welcome back to the Booze and Boobs podcast. Yay! Today we're going to be talking about... 2000 early 2000s uh low-rise jeans um caller id and trusting your intuition that yeah all of those points are very correct aka when a stranger calls we will be covering um mostly the 2006 version but we will also reference the 1979 the one that started it all um I might give a few anecdotes on the 1993 When a Stranger Calls Back because I'm the only one who's seen it. And I would argue that it is scarier than the first one. Shook me as a child. Shook. (laughs) I think that's something about like horror movies from that are older. Like if you watch them when you're younger, like they're much, much scarier than if you're an adult in 2023 watching it from you know 1970 or 2006 yeah so i think it takes away some of that scary factor i think one of the things though for you and i definitely like me in a lot of things but i there is so much in horror that i will let slide and you watch things with (laughs) such a view of cynicism that's just my life i'm very critical and i just if it logically in my brain says no i'm like mm, don't okay like but this is the thing that we always talk about where yeah. it comes from context is we have the context to watch these because we've watched everything else so you just have to go in there and let it go i go in with the expectation that everybody should be as smart as me i know one so, as smart as you that's you're very very smart i'm glad we have that on a recording <laughs> i had my fingers crossed so yeah we're gonna go through it this is my birthday episode hooray Um, so um i got to pick and it was kind of really hard to pick because i definitely really wanted to do when a stranger calls but at the time when we were talking about it and for like the first like week of september for sure this movie was not on anything and it was so frustrating And then literally, like, out of the blue, When a Stranger Calls got on Prime. And Mm -hmm. I was like, don't mind if I (laughs) scooby-dooby-doo. So it it was a birthday gift for me. It truly was. They were looking out for Rachel. Well, somebody has to. Yeah. So, uh, like we said, we're going to kind of stick to most of 2006. Um, I think that we said in last month's episode, maybe I cut it out when I was editing, um there is another podcast that um I was listening to for a time and they had some not great takes on some things in general but I listened to the episode where they discussed this movie and I just stopped listening they had 
no thinking caps on, no allowance for context clues, making fun of, of the fact that like flip phones existed. And I'm like 98% <laughs> sure like these people, like they've got to be like really close to our age. So just like the depths of it. And then when they, you know, revered like Halloween so well, I'm like, okay, those were different times too. So right. what are we doing here? So I have like, I want to call this podcast like When a Stranger Calls Back with a Vengeance because <laughs> this movie is phenomenal. I think it hits every beat that's necessary. It's PG-13. It's not very gory. I think there's like two instances of blood at all. And then it's just very, very tense. And if you watch it and you just like let yourself go, it's near perfect. And I won't accept criticism. Thank you. I'm not talking because I don't want to criticize anything. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I I did like this movie. I think it reflects 2006 very well. And in that sense, it is a little bit like nostalgic. Watching the 1970, is it 76? 79. Yeah, watching the 1979 version. There's no nostalgia because we weren't born at that time. But in 2006, like we were old enough to remember those things like my older sister graduated in like 2003 so Mm -hmm. definitely have seen those styles i think i still was doing that in 2010 honestly that's embarrassing what the jean skirt with like the huge wide belt yeah i once wore a jean skirt with like um like uh like fleece leggings and my cat and my cowgirl boots and i got roasted for that and i was like I thought it was really cute. I was sad. But <laughs> I was like, listen, g- looking back now, I was on point. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were up there. It was, was. Um, before Gossip Girl fashion took over. Mm. Never so, watched that. Um, I haven't seen the whole thing. I know what happens. And I feel I, like it's just one of those shows. Like I started watching it after it had ended. So I knew who Gossip Girl was, like, from the very beginning. And, like, I'm obsessed, like, obsessed with Blake Lively and Leighton Meester because she was in this um, movie. Leighton Meester was in a movie I could watch um, when I was a kid, like, a scary movie. So she was, like, my beacon of horror when I wasn't allowed (laughs) to watch horror. So, like, there's really no excuse for me not to watch that show, like, constantly. But it is really really hard for like fat poor me to mm. really give a shit about these pretty skinny rich people for very long <laughs> so like i think the most i've ever been able to watch is like two or three episodes in a row and i'm like okay i'm done for a little while i'm like i don't yeah. care at least with yeah. pretty little liars there was like murder and stuff yeah something at least intriguing yeah i mean not to say that people don't die in gossip girl no spoilers but it was just it's just not like the show for me like it mm-hmm. should be on paper but anyway yeah. so we can start with um the beginning scene of the 2006 version which i think is super super tense don't you agree mm-hmm. i i think the music and then it's like the darkness of the scene of like oh it's a fun little fair going on but we know something like cynical is happening in the background with all of these there's no witnesses, but they're so close. 
I am happening. going to assume that you meant to say sinister instead of cynical. You got it stuck in my head. You got the word cynical stuck in my head. Sinister. I mean, I, yes. I think that that's what happened, but just for posterity, I want the viewers, well, the viewers who, who listen with their earballs. <laughs> your earballs. You know what? We're done. The episode's canceled. <laughs> no one can talk anymore. I think that, in, that the intro to this movie really did a good job of being like fun and playful at this fair that was happening but in the background with the music we see something that's actually like sinister going on and everybody is so close to like where it's happening like and nobody even knows till like the next day and it and that's kind of what's scary about it is like literally your neighbors could be dead next to you and you won't even know and you're just having the time of your life yeah so what happens over the beginning is we don't ever go inside the house we just hear that there are phone calls being made um a girl mm-hmm. is answering um and it's kind of like a scary man's voice that's just being like really creepy and there's multiple calls and then at one point the girl is like please stop calling me like she's very yeah. scared and i love the scene so there's like a like one of those pop-up circ like carnival things that's like right next to this house lot and everyone's having a good time like katrina was saying like right next to like this horrible thing that's happening because then we pan over at one point um from like the happy carnival over to the house and then a, a light goes on in one of the upstairs bedrooms and then you just see like this big shape of a man like curling himself at something and then you just hear scream 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 screams yeah which nobody thinks uh, like has a second thought about because there's a carnival ride kids are screaming all over the place anyway like yeah even if anybody could hear what's going on in the house they wouldn't think anything of it so no i think that it's a really smart way to set up like the horror aspect of it um there is like we get little tiny blips of just scenes are like around the town that are happening in the like near the carnival um and just like a call back to the first movie um we see like a, a an insert shot of a church and it has like jesus saves in a neon sign and that is from well a reference to the first movie um there's mm-hmm. a shelter that has like a jesus save like it's a christian run shelter so that's just like an interesting little callback i love that then we go to the next day where the carnival is like packed up like it's like there one day then it's not yeah and a detective is called to the house and is kind of like run through like the cops like that something awful happened here he knows that there were deaths a cop that was on site says that i think like they were less than a mile away like when the call came in so like somebody called the cops we don't ever know for sure if this babysitter did call the cops Mm-hmm. But the detective has to go into that upstairs bedroom to kind of assess the damage because the coroner is still there, quote unquote, waiting through it all, which right. sets the detective up. He's like, what do you mean waiting through it all? Like, he thinks this is like a pretty cut and dry murder. But then he opens the door and I've seen the commentary of this movie with the director and the main actor so many times, too. Like, I could literally recite it. But they said that they couldn't show the gore that mm-hmm. they were thinking about to keep the pg-13 rating but that also plays off for like a good trick because the detective opens the door and the camera just stays on the detective and like his eyes are looking around as if he's seeing all of these horrible things like that there's a lot to see because his eyes keep moving and then you just hear sounds of people screaming 
Yeah, like, and honestly, you know that this is a seasoned de- detective just from his facial expression alone. This is like nothing he's ever seen before. Yeah, the shock awful. on his face was, and honestly, that was a. I was like, at that point, I guess we really don't need to see it because he's shook it, shooketh. Yeah, and well, and that was like, another thing they said in the commentary. It's like you know whatever the audience is imagining could be worse than what would have been shown so it's just like the tension that leaves you there and then we cut to the detective is out on the front porch of the house and then the officers are bringing out several body bags um and none of them look very big so i think we can just deduce that they're going out in pieces yeah nothing is whole that you can tell yeah so we um get a little like location card because they already did the title card um for when a stranger calls and then we go to fern hill colorado which is apparently 125 miles away from where they were in the first scene and then i have some mixed feelings about this because this is definitely one of my favorite horror movies of all time however it stars camilla bell and if you're a swifty like me you know who camilla bell is and (laughs) she is the girl that joe jonas cheated on taylor swift with and the movie came out way before that so like i was already in love with this movie i'm really really sorry taylor this is probably like the thing i'm gonna hold on to so i don't watch her other stuff i know that she has been in other things but um anything that she was in post the love bug music video i won't watch i think that's fair yeah and honestly when i was re-watching this i was like i know i've seen this movie and then as soon as i see her running on that circle track up above the gymnasium i was like oh yeah I've seen this because the first time I watched this, I was like, that is so fancy. They have a track inside their gymnasium. Because, I mean, I went to, like, very small rural schools. So we, you know, everything is multi-purpose. And I was like, oh, wow. Camilla Bell plays Jill Johnson. Um, Our first introduction to her is at some kind of, like, track practice. I assume it's track and not Mm cross-country because she's running sprints. Yeah. So um, there's a track above the basketball court. I'm like, what is that? thing and she runs she does one lap which if it's what like a normal track is then it's 400 meters quarter mile yeah yeah and her coach is timing her and she keeps running it in 25 seconds and she's trying to get to 24 but it's not a quarter mile well that well this is the thing she's running in 25 seconds but Mm. my thought especially today when i was watching it i was like wait if this is 400 meters and she's running that in 25 seconds. <laughs> that is very, very fast. Yeah, because, like, the fastest man alive runs, like, the 100 meter in, like, 10 seconds. Really? Uh, yeah, like, uh, like 400 meters should take... If you're fast, you can do, the, like, the 400 meters in, like, a minute and 15 seconds, probably. I'm going to look it up. I don't know. Is, is it 9 seconds? How fast? For 100 meters? To run, I don't know. 400 meters it would take me like a minute and a half to two minutes for sure this says what is the average time for a 400 meter sprint like i don't know i'm getting a few different answers some of it says like for girls 58 seconds there's one thing that says for the average joe probably two and a half to three minutes for an athlete 70 to 90 seconds how fast is right Usain Bolt's 400 meter is 45 seconds 45.28 seconds his right but his 100 
is it doesn't say the 100 the 200 is 19 well it's so, like 10 9 or 10 seconds for 100 meters so probably yeah. so i mean it it could be maybe a 200 that she's running but i guess i thought that she yeah. did a whole lap um, well i guess if you think of it in the context of it laps around a basketball court that's not a quarter mile let's just say it's a 200 meter dash sure sure let's go i don't it. know this is what happens when i'm thinking <laughs> um and while she's running she looks down and like time kind of slows a little bit while she looks down um what we'll learn is her boyfriend is Trey on... Bolton no we do not insult <laughs> Troy Bolton like that Troy Bolton. um that her boyfriend is on the basketball court and there's some trouble in paradise we don't know what mm-hmm. at this point but her coach is getting on to her about you can make 24 seconds we both know you can and she's like it's like I always say Focus on something in the distance. And then Jill joins her and says, and run for it like nothing exists. That is uh, foreshadowing. See. Yeah. So we we need to know that she is athletic and can run. And then we go to the school hallway, which this is the discussion in that other podcast that I was like, fuck you guys. I'm never listening to you guys again. We are <laughs> through. Jill says hi to somebody in the hallway. And like she references the kid... Like, this guy says, like, hi, Jill. And she says, hi, Boom Boom. And then they were making fun of, like, this nickname. Like, why was he called this? Why did he have to be in there? And I'm like, if you were in high school and you didn't know somebody with, like, a weird-ass nickname, you didn't Mm -hmm. go to high school. It just is what it is. It's just setting the tone. It doesn't matter. Live with it. Yeah, somebody wrote it in there. It's fine. So Jill sneaks her flip phone in her locker and she's looking around and then at one point she sees a teacher so she like shoves it in the back of her locker that was another point that the other podcast made that they were like oh like why is she trying to hide her phone and i'm like um this is 2006 we were technically not allowed to have our phones like on school property yeah they They were in your car in your car um i remember there was one announcement when i was in school that they they wanted you to like drop it off in the office and none of us did it but that's what they wanted so we did have have to hide them there was like i remember at first like when i had my phone in 2006 i kept it in my locker i mean and and because this is the point is for this movie if you don't know s- spoilers already about it whatever the point of this movie is that this girl has gone over her minutes on her phone bill so that's why she has to babysit to pay everything off. All of this makes perfect sense to anyone who was like cognizant during that time period. I remember when yeah. my brother, like he sent 7 million texts or something and he got in big trouble. And when calls had to be after nine o'clock. So the point of making fun of a movie for that, I'm like, that is just literally what happened. So yeah, stop. I mean, for me, my oldest sister went over on her talking minutes. So then that was restricted. And then my middle sister went over her texting limits. And so when it came time for me, I didn't get anything until I was in high school, which was like 2009, 2008. And so like 2000, I don't know. know. So in like 2006, 2007, like I had a flip phone, but I couldn't use it. Like it was like, call your parent to pick you up or your grandma to pick you up from school and that was it Mm -hmm. i practiced texting on the phone to nobody all through eighth grade oh can you still text in t9 i would be at the table at dinner texting under the table like without looking yep right my for the space yep and my parents were very annoyed but impressed at the same time 
So like that's the whole setup of the game is that cell phones talking and texting was metered. So it was very important. And another thing, Jill's boyfriend like comes around the corner and is like trying to talk to her at her locker. And she's like, we've already talked 74 minutes yesterday, 126 the day before that and 256 the day before that or whatever her number was. And this Mm -hmm. other podcast was like, oh, like, you know how many minutes you talk like that's So there's such a dumb script. And I'm like, no, we all knew exactly how much we were talking back then. Especially if she's in trouble and they're saying you're over X amount of minutes, you're going to analyze like, oh, shit, were we really on the phone that long? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think um, in a scene that's a little bit later where her dad is taking her up to the house where she's going to babysit, they're like, you went over by 800 minutes because you're allotted a certain number of minutes in your billing cycle. And then after eight or nine o'clock, your minutes are all free, like nights and weekends or whatever. So yeah, because he was like, you couldn't wait till nine o'clock. And she's like, I did. But he's like, you didn't. Well, no, she's like, I always do. And then he's like, this time you didn't. And she's like, but you know what's going on. So we'll get to that point. But in um, general, she's responsible. Exactly. Uh, Jill's boyfriend is Bobby. Then we've discovered that another girl has kissed him. And that's where the trouble is. And she's over it. Like, she's, like, done with him. And, like, he's trying to be like, well, she kissed me. And she's like, oh, you let her kiss you. Whatever. Mm -hmm. But she leaves him and then goes into this art room where we find Tessa Thompson. This was one of her, like, first movies. And every time I see this girl, no matter what I'm watching, I mean, I don't watch Marvel, but I know that she's been in other stuff. Um, and it's like a joke with me and one of my friends now. It's like anytime Tessa Thompson pops up with something, I'm just like, she was in When a Stranger Calls <laughs> because she is. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. So Tessa Thompson plays Scarlett, one of Jill's friends. And Scarlett is saying to Jill, you know, don't take him back. Like that was really shitty that he kissed somebody else. And then Katie Cassidy walks in and she is in a ton of horror movies, but this was her first movie. So I think anybody now-ish watching that would be like, oh, like, she's not playing the main girl? And it's like, not yet, not (laughs) yet. But she comes in the scene, and then it's just really awkward. Tessa Thompson says, you guys, this is so high school, referring to, like, the drama. And then Mm -hmm. Scarlett, we're in high school. It's a little double standard of Scarlet for her to be like, don't ever take Bobby back. But you should definitely take your best friend back, who's the one that's probably even more of a backstabber at that point. Well, she was trying to be a girl's girl because they were <sighs> all three friends. I I get it. You want to keep your friend group together, but like you got to cut them both off at that point. Well, we're in high school. Shit happens. Yeah, we all made dumb decisions. I get it. That's where Jill tells Scarlett that she has to babysit that night to help pay off her cell phone bill. Uh, so she's going to miss the school's big bonfire. They have they show scenes from it throughout the movie. I, it's got to be like football season or something. So I don't know if it's like homecoming or like just like the state champ. I don't know what it is. But the school's having a bonfire because there's got to be a way for all of Jill's friends to not be able to be with her. Right, not have service, not <laughs> all of the above. Then we're going to cut to 
um, that scene where Jill's dad is driving her to the house um, for the Mendrakuses. That's the family name that was also the same name from the first movie. So everything that we've seen so far in this movie, we don't ever see in the original, but we're just getting kind of more backstory on Jill and her life and what's going on because the Jill in the original, you know, was having like boy problems with her boyfriend, Bobby Mm -hmm. and wanted to talk to him. And then she talked to one of her other friends on the phone and she's like, you know, I really like Bobby and I've liked him for a long time. So they just really expounded upon that in this remake just to like create more depth of character wouldn't you agree yeah because i think when like just jumping into the, like the 1979 version it was like okay so this girl's just babysitting for these random people and she's just on their phone the whole time um which happens and, and i and i guess the one of the main differences is you know this movie is centered around jill and her story of like what's happening to her in the house whereas the 1979 version is more of okay this happens in the house in the first scene but then the rest of the movie is you know hunting him back down again after he escapes Mm -hmm. so i mean there the form the format and the layout of this movie is definitely different so i think the backstory is more important to jill this time in the 2006 version than it is in the 1979 version because jill is in the 79 version is in the beginning and in the end like she's like the sandwich bread on it yeah so i really like that i think it just gives another opportunity and when i was re-watching the old one for this podcast I remember like, oh, the beginning's really scary. The ending's definitely really scary. And I was like, yeah, the middle's like, whatever. But then when I was just watching it, I was like, okay, this guy's kind of scary. <laughs> He's a psycho. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so well, nuts. So we, I mean, we can kind of talk about it a little bit. Well, I think in the middle of the 79 version, I can't remember her name, but the lady at the bar who gets targeted. Tracy, I think. Sure. Lady it at the bar. now. She's- for me, I just loved how like cold and unbothered she was throughout like the most of it where she was like Ugh, <laughs> the whole time. Good for her. Good for her. Like she took no shit, even though he was like a psychopath. Did we even summarize this movie? We didn't summarize either of them, did we? No. Oops. I'll Are do you- it real quick. I'll do it real quick. <laughs> so everybody knows what's going on. So the 2006 summary is Jill has to help pay off her cell phone bill so she goes to this house to babysit these kids and she receives menacing phone calls all night until it's revealed that the call is coming from inside the house so it's just like a horror movie about like this one central event Mm -hmm. the original the first like 20 25 minutes is jill goes to a house to babysit receives some menacing phone calls and then um the killer is caught so in the original one kurt duncan is the killer and he actually has killed the children but jill has escaped uh in the 2006 version the kids do not die and in the 1979 version the middle of the movie is where it's like seven years later kurt duncan has escaped from his prison slash asylum Mm -hmm. and the detective who caught him the first time is on the hunt for him 
while Kurt Duncan is trying to assimilate back into life. Like he has no money, no shelter, no anything because he escaped. And then he starts terrorizing this other woman who wouldn't give him the time of day in a bar. But then the detective finds him. There's a chase scene. Um, and then we, the last 20 minutes of the movie is Kurt Duncan has found Jill again and then starts terrorizing her family. And then the detective shows up and Kurt Duncan is dead. We kill him. Goodbye. Bing, bing. Yeah. Um, and then the movie, the old movie ends with like an end shot of like Jill Johnson's house, but then it's like Kurt Duncan's eyes like over the house. And let me tell you, man, that movie fucked me up as a kid. <laughs> I was scared and the new one really scared me. I mean, I was young. I was like 13. And I know that other people are like, oh, well, by the time I was 13, I was watching like blah, 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 blah. I don't care. Make your own podcast. This is about me. It's her birthday podcast. You leave her alone. Yeah, it's my birthday podcast, and these movies scared me. The end. <laughs> so Jill's father is driving her to the Mendrakis's house. Honestly, that's kind of that's one of those say it five times fast. Um, and he's talking about responsibility, and Jill mentioned she's like, well, normally she is responsible, but with this, this is an outlier of her character because it's not every day that your best friend kisses your boyfriend. You know, at least I hope it's not every day. Well, I mean, can't say it never happens because it definitely happens, but that's it- a story for a different kind of podcast. <laughs> so they pull up on this gated driveway, which has uh, what we see is like an older car, which we find out later is the mate's car, um, and then a garage. And when Jill is walking up, she basically has to like walk upstairs around and down to like the main door entryway. And when she gets there, it's kind of in the woods. It's in the middle of nowhere. And it's kind of like an all glass house on like a its own private lake or pond. So yeah, it's, it's like very, very nice. 70s modern. Yeah. And it's obviously rich people live here because this is not middle class income level of house. Like, no, Rachel, Rachel and I talked about it at one point. Like there's, you know, she was, Rachel said there's three main characters. It's jill the killer like the phone basically in the house um and the house is definitely a big role in this uh and they do play on that very well yeah uh clark greg plays jill's dad and when they're driving up and they see the house he's like man maybe i should have been a doctor (laughs) i liked the scene where it was jill and her dad because i mean that's the only time we see the dad except for the very very end for like one second um but it just shows that like the family does have like a closeness to it jill was like i could have driven myself and or the dad's like one month no phone no car like that's like the deal Mm -hmm. and i was thinking i mean i I don't know exactly how far away the mandraka's house is from wherever jill lives but i'm like my dad definitely would not have driven me (laughs) he would he would have been like you have to do this yeah get out of my face go away yeah for real um but i do like you know that we get to see like her little connection with her dad but it also kind of set up setups sets up later in the movie why he's a little bit unavailable because he mentions that he and his wife her mother are going to um a quartet what is it what is it called 
Baroque chamber know. music. Yeah. Because if it's for... not Baroque, don't fix it. <laughs> so yeah, they're doing something that um, he doesn't really even seem that excited about. So oh, but that's what you do when you love someone. And when you're at a concert like that, you can't have your cell phone on you, even though he says, call me if you need anything. Well, she tried. Well, yeah. I mean, she does try to call. Um, like you mentioned, they're talking about responsibility. I just I kept the quote, um, because Jill's like, Dad, I am responsible, and he like he he knows he understands that there's an extenuating circumstance, but it doesn't matter because she still did go over her minutes, and that is very expensive. Yeah. So he said, you know, like with responsibility, it's when it's not easy, when it hurts, that's when it counts, mm-hmm. and. <clears throat> It just really sets up who Jill is and how she is going to handle the situation that she's about to be dealt. Yeah. Because, I mean, I don't like kids. And um, if that were me, uh, bye. Bye. Honestly, like, I did babysit, but not consistently throughout, like, my high school years. But I never encountered this. So I was thankful for that. I'm glad, too. Because then you might be dead. And then who would I go to Mexico with? I I think I would have lived. Well, I would have hoped that I would have lived, but who knows? Maybe. 15-year-old Katrina versus almost 30-year-old Katrina. Who knows what, what would have happened? Oh, I think uh, 15-year-old Rachel could kick 31-year-old Rachel's ass. <laughs> I can make 15-year-old so? Rachel cry harder, though. I know exactly what hurts her. <laughs> Is it the same things that hurt 31-year-old Rachel? So in this next scene... <laughs> <laughs> Going uh, on. So... <laughs> Jill arrives to the Mandrakis house and it's gorgeous. Um, she's greeted by Miss Dr. Mandrakis at the door and he introduces her or introduces her to the house, basically. Well, the mom does. Oh, the mother does. Yeah. The mom comes down the stairs after Dr. Mandrakis like invites her in. She kind of shows her around. And I, and I made a note that like really everything that they set up in the house, they end up using it. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> they uh mrs mandrakis takes jill around shows her like the kitchen they pass by they have this really beautiful aviary with like a koi pond and some little birds in there she mentions that they have a housekeeper they walk by chester the little black cat and she's like he'll probably be there all night like staring at the birds and stuff mm-hmm. uh she mentions that they have a guest house a little bit down the way like um from the main house that Dr. Mandrakis's oldest child stays in every so often when he's not at school. Um, and they mentioned like sometimes he just like comes home and doesn't say anything. Right. Because everything's foreshadowing. There's also um, like motion detector lights. So when you walk into a room, the light will come on. And when you leave, it'll go off. Mm-hmm. So those are all of the things that they're setting up, which is, yeah, I think, really smart because it is very inane. Uh, Dr. Uh, Mrs. Mandrakis takes Jill into the kitchen and she's like, I remember babysitting, like food's the best part. Cause so she's like, help yourself to whatever you want. And I was looking when I watched earlier and I was like, oh yeah, they've got name brand everything in there. They got it all. Yeah. If you're splurging on your house, you're probably going to get, not get the great value brand of everything. Well, I don't get the great value brand of anything because I don't shop at Walmart. Rachel's better than us guys. I am. I, I am an avid Walmart shopper. But that's also what is available to me. Well, even um, when you lived here. Once um, they're getting ready to leave and Mrs. Mandrakis is like, am I forgetting anything? And Jill goes, uh, the children? Yeah. Uh, 
silly me like the most important part of the job i would hope but she mentions oh i just got them to sleep they're cut they're just coming off having the flu so please don't wake them which is also a little bit of a reflection to the 1979 version because the mother had also said they're asleep don't bother them if you don't have to so that's the key to these two movies is the mothers are saying don't wake my children it really just gives way to like the isolation that the babysitter is going to have mm-hmm. for the time being. Yeah. So the Mandrakis is, well, she tells them where their bedroom is basically. And then they leave. You were the thinking parents about the leave. next scene. Yeah. The parents leave. And then there's like a little passage of time. Like it was like dusk ish when Joe got dropped off, but now it's like actually nighttime. Yeah. So then we kind of see like Jill's just like a little bit bored. She's tired of like studying or reading whatever she was doing. And then she starts looking around the house and then she ends up in the parents' bedroom. Yeah. And I had so much anxiety watching her in their bathroom and everything. So she walks into the bed. I'll get there. So she walks into the bedroom and they have, I don't know, they have this like really cool like bookshelf above, like up on the ceiling, but in the wall. And I really liked it. But she goes into the bathroom, starts like smelling the perfumes. She puts one on, she puts on a necklace, and then she goes into the closet to look at a dress and is like, does she do a British accent? And is just like, oh, I'm basically being like, oh my God, I'm so fancy. Yeah. As most she like puts would. on like a little necklace and she's like playing with them. She's like, oh, thank you. I just bought them. And in the commentary, <laughs> Camilla Bell said that she was making fun of the director, Simon West, because he's British. And then they they had like a little conversation about that in the commentary. And then he was like, there was some word you kept making fun of me for saying. And then they figured it out. It's garage for garage. Oh. And I mean, I say garage now because of that when I'm being cheeky. So it's just, I'm way too into this movie. The only like good, like British impersonation I can do is like, the phrase of water bottle and water that's bottle. it water bottle like that's all i got <laughs> <laughs> otherwise i just sound like dracula trying to do any other accent um notions of time to find you <laughs> and during the scene like i know that rosa is there like i know or i'm like she's like okay well first of all you're gonna smell like the perfume what if you forget to put the earrings or the necklace back and you put it in the wrong spot or and somebody notices and they are going to accuse you of stealing. And then she hears like some ruckus downstairs, like hurries up, puts everything away. Because um, I'm like, what if they forgot about something and they had to come back? Like, I don't know. I'm weird. But she goes downstairs to investigate. Um, And when she gets downstairs or at the top of the stairs, I don't know which one, she sees the housekeeper, Rosa, in the aviary cleaning and feeding the birds. Like she has a little ladder of like supplies and stuff all of that is true but you did miss one of my favorite parts oh what so, they don't show the closet well th- yeah so um when jill is in like the bathroom closet she like looks around at everything then she hears something so she runs back to the couch like she wasn't mm-hmm. just like rummaging through everything and then she's then we like, cut to a little bit later she's on the phone with scarlet and she's talking about how the like you should see her closet it's bigger than my room but they don't show us the closet 
because it's like one of the same things like from the first scene with like the dead bodies where it's like you know leave it to the imagination because that closet actually like isn't super big so they just made a mention of it and then jill hears something again and it's kind of spooky so then she starts looking around the house like trying to find the noise and then like there's one part where she's like standing like in the corner before the hallway and her eye she just like barely peeks her eye out in the hallway so it's just like a really good shot and then she finds rosa i'm i'm being like really anal blood but i'm like but all these scares are like so good (laughs) so then the phone rings and this is the first time that the stranger calls and it's just like a quick like you know as strangers do Mm -hmm. creepy men strangers do yeah and then uh hangs up the phone and she's like okay that was weird and then jill's sitting on the couch studying and then we get a light goes on down the hall which is spooky yeah no well and i at this point i would have already like forgotten about the cat if the cat isn't like with me so yeah that was a the only like solace in this movie is like maybe it's rosa maybe it's the cat like and i think if rosa or the cat weren't there then this would have been like okay it's time to go a lot sooner yeah so Rosa was definitely like a uh, comfort for her in a few scenes. Oh, I'm sure. Um, Because for this, Jill uh, goes to see where the light came on, but then the cat runs out. So that's just, it's a cheap scare, but it's a scare nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Then she's on the phone with Scarlett again. And um, Scarlett says that Bobby called her wanting Jill's number where she is at the Mandrakis's. And she's like, well, did you give it to him? And Scarlett's like, no. And then Jill's like, it's okay if you give it to him. And Scarlett's like, I'm smelling weakness. <laughs> Which so, she says it's not, but it is. Like, well, because that's the whole thing. Because, you know, we've got the stuff with Bobby. We've got the stuff with Tiffany. And Scarlett is right. Like, it's so high school. I mean, it absolutely, you know, it sucks to like... Mm-hmm be cheated on and stuff like that but this is like very teenage you know where everything's like okay not okay it's okay okay it's not okay again so it's like your your brain knows like a this is not okay b i shouldn't be with him anymore and c like it's irrational to like want to be with this person still because but i'm like your emotions counteract all of those yeah they're just 17 yeah logic and emotions in high school is not not so we just let it go um but then you know they hang up and scarlet's like you know we'll talk later or whatever and we think that she's gonna give bobby the number and then the alarm goes off so the house has an alarm set so the mandrakis has left jill the number she punches it in and then the alarm company calls and they have to confirm her identity with the family so that's all good and then uh mrs mandrakis calls jill and they just assume that rosa might have set the alarm off and mm-hmm. mrs mandrakis makes a joke like i don't know how many times i've written that number down for rosa and they're like ha 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 well as long as everything's fine and you're good she's just like call me if you need me later and you know it's very professional and then jill goes to look for rosa and she goes back and looks at the aviary and her cleaning cart and everything is still there but there's no rosa and she gets her face really close to the glass like she's like trying to look at all the corners in it and then those goddamn misters <laughs> that are in the aviary they just go off and picture me just like oh, got me <laughs> no that one did get me 
when they first went off and I was like, okay. But yet again, it's used later on in the movie with the killer. Yeah. Every, so every as, I think this is super good. Yeah. Everything that she learns about this house throughout, she ends up using as it like as it progresses throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. So then the phone rings again. This is the second time the stranger has called and he just says, is everything okay? And Jill thinks like it might be Dr. Mandrakis, but then also Mm -hmm. the mom had already called. So why would he be calling? But the phone hangs up anyway. And she's like, okay, then. Can we not do this, please? Like, right. But then we get a call um, a little bit later. So like another progression of time. I don't know like what spans of time the entire movie has. But well, it makes it feel like it's several hours. Yeah, because the the Mandrak like Mrs. Mandrakis does mention, you know, oh, we're gonna go to dinner and then if we go to a movie, we'll probably be out till like midnight or something like that. Did they Which, say midnight? Uh if they didn't, they did it in the first one, maybe. That might maybe be maybe right. I'm uh maybe I'm but she does say like, Oh, if dinner goes well, we may go to a movie. Which I mean, you know, dinner's two hours, a movie is two hours. Yeah, because they probably driving. went somewhere fancy that had like several courses and stuff. And it's not like they're living in a very popular town. So they would have had to travel. No. So yeah, and and the people we'll say know like, them by name. Like when she calls the restaurant, they know them by name. So like there's reservations, there's so a yeah. solid five hours. five hours plus probably. So that's I what mean, we're she, saying. Yeah, if she got there at six till midnight is six hours plus driving. So I think sure. it makes sense. Yeah, give or take. But that and and I make that point because there's like several little cut passage of time scenes because mm-hmm. then we skip around and the phone rings again and this is one of my favorite parts of the movie. So Jill's like hello and then this voice on the other end is like hey and she's like who is this and then the voice is like what are you wearing and she's over because like she has gotten a couple like scary calls and like the alarm has already gone off and she's like had some spooks mm-hmm. go on already so she's already done with this bullshit so this voice is like what are you wearing and she's like combat boots and a parka you jerk who is this and I literally say that. Like, even if a guy, like, <laughs> if a guy texts me and he's like, what are you wearing? I literally say combat boots and a parka because it's like, fuck men, but don't. But don't. Jinx. <laughs> I said first, like, the voice is like laughing. She's like, this isn't funny. And it's like, yeah, it is. And then it's just a prank call. Up. Yeah. From, like it's, her little high school friends, basically. Yeah. So dumb. But it it breaks the tension for us a little bit because there have been some scares going on. But it also sets up because like there's a lot of phone conversations that happen between like the stranger and like other people. So it, you know, sets the tone. It's like, you know, not every time the phone rings is like a bad omen. Right. So Jill's over it, but then she hears something a little bit further away and she's scared. And there's this really good part where she goes up to the fireplace and at first she picks up like the little shovel like thing. Pan. <laughs> yeah, for the fireplace. And she has that, but then she puts it down and then she picks up the fireplace poker. And we're all just yeah. like, yeah, thank girl. goodness. So I think that Jill makes a lot of good choices considering her circumstances. Yeah, I mean, she wouldn't have made it very far if she didn't. <laughs> AKA she wouldn't have made it lived <laughs> so she grabs a fire poker and she's like stalking down the hallway like looking around seeing what she can find and then she stops before she gets into the kitchen and then you just hear like this rattling 
And then she looks down and the fireplace poker has been like banging against the door frame a little bit, just kind of like tapping on it because her hands are shaking. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that was, I thought that, that was really good. Like it shows like she's really scared, but you know, she kind of can control her environment a little bit and she just takes a minute and then she just like jumps in the kitchen. So then the light turns on and there's nothing in there. But then she hears the sound again, drops the fire poker and it's just the ice machine. Yep. And then she grabs herself. A popsicle. A name brand popsicle. But this is another callback to the first movie. So in the 79 version, uh, Carol Kane plays Jill Johnson in that one. I don't think we said that before, but Carol Kane is amazing. But she hears something going on and then she goes to investigate and it's the ice machine. So sometimes in the middle of the night or even in the middle of the day, I hear my ice maker and I'm like, who's in my house? Honestly, if it's even if it's not the ice maker, I'm blaming it on the ice maker because I it better be the ice maker. If it's not the ice maker, I don't want to know. There you go. That's good. So Jill takes her popsicle, walks back into the little living area. The phone rings again. And to be clear, like this is a landline that she's been answering mostly in the living room. So it doesn't have any caller ID or anything like that, which was pretty common. We only had one phone that had caller ID for a little while when I was younger. Yeah, I would say... Once we got the phone, like the wireless phones, then we got caller ID. Yep. And then really, we only had one of those for a while. And then we got two eventually. But for the most part, it was one. Um, But she doesn't have any caller ID. So she gets yeah. a call. She answers it. And then she just hears, hello. She turns around and it's Tiffany. The girl who kissed her boyfriend. Yeah. Katie Cassidy is in the house. Yeah. So, um, so Jill, go ahead. Oh, no. I was just going to say, I think Jill was somewhat relieved it was her, but then also was like, uh, it's you, you know, because she's still mad at her. Well, yeah, because she heard the voice behind her. So she jumped and she's scared. But yeah, I would do the same thing. Like, well, fuck, if anybody's going to be in this house, at least it's somebody I know. Right. I'm like, even though I like don't like you right now, you're not going to murder me. She's just trying to be a bad influence at this point. She's coming. Oh, just wanted to see if you could leave the children behind and come over, you know. But before that, they were talking about the kiss. And she's like, you know what tequila does to me. And she's like, so don't drink. She's like, fine, I won't drink again. But then goes straight to the bar and it's like now this is a good tequila yeah and it's trying to get her to drink trying to get her to like abandon the kids which she knows that she's not gonna do so i think she's just like messing with her at this point jill had asked her how she got in the house and tiffany said that the garage was open so it's my theory that the garage door opening is what set off the alarm so Jill Mm -hmm. goes to it and closes it, but then she makes Tiffany leave because she's not going to go to the bonfire and leave the kids and whatever. Tiffany does say this one line because she had mentioned that she had had a crush on Bobby since ninth grade and they dated for like one whole day before Bobby and Jill got together. And then Tiffany's like, Jill, I'm a bitch. I know that. You know that. Everybody knows that. And I just took that with me in my life. And then I was thinking about it while I was thinking about that line. And I'm like, you know, I really took a liking to all of the characters in fiction that I was not supposed to follow. And that's who I became. (laughs) I was like, if you're a villain, if you're mean, I'm like, yep, I like you. That's that's what I want. (laughs) You you seem realistic. I'm going to go with you. I was like, yeah, yeah. I'm going to make that my whole personality. I will say in like this with 
Tiffany leaving the house is when I truly started to feel like stress. And I think that this is like a really good, like tense scene for sure. So Tiffany gets kicked out and she's got her little purse and her low rise jeans with the shirt that's too short. <laughs> and a blazer. And a blazer. Yes. And she hears like what sounds like footsteps. It's like windy. It's getting dark outside. She hears some like wrestling and maybe some footsteps and starts to like feel a little panic. So she walks a little faster, digging for her keys the whole time. She drops them under her car, trying to hurry. And oh, I was so stressed. Finally, she gets in. And she does check the back seat, which good for her because she does a little like one, two check of the back seat before she drives away. And well, she doesn't get very far. No. Well, and then her car doesn't start. And I'm like, oh my God, he messed with the starter. He did something. But then it starts. And then she starts reversing down the driveway and there's a branch in the way. And you can see her mind like, what do I do? Do I run over it? Do I just move it myself? Do I go back inside? Of course, we uh we picked the wrong the wrong the wrong answer. She got out of her car to try and move the branch out of the road, and that uh, we don't see Tiffany again for a while. She keeps <laughs> hearing these footsteps though, and I'm just like, move it. Yeah, and I think when we were watching it before, you were thinking like her car probably could have made it, but I don't know because the gate was closed. You know, would a car have had to have gotten to a certain point before the gate would automatically open or what? Because, like, maybe if she backed her car up enough, the gate would have opened and then she could have driven forward and then gotten reverse and just, like, zoomed out of there and would have just run over the branch. But there were, like, little branches on it that were sticking Mm -hmm. up. So I don't don't know for sure. But either way... Uh, Tiffany does not leave. No. You tell yourself, oh, I'm overreacting. Just get out of the car. Yeah. And uh, she was not overreacting. She That's died. really like the, the theme of this movie, especially with almost about what's going to happen next. Jill hears a bunch of pounding on the door, like fast, loud banging on the front door. She goes up there thinking it's Tiffany, like maybe she forgot something, but then she opens the door and there's nobody. There's not a particular explanation you know i wonder did tiffany get away long enough to have been like pounding on the door and then got snatched before jill got to the door so then there was nothing there but i feel like if it was tiffany she probably would have been screaming because i would have so then if it's just the stranger pounding on the front door and then going away then i feel like those are the only two options for what happened i i feel like it was a stranger Because, yeah, A, the screaming, but also B, like, it stopped, like, just before she opened it. So, like, the timing would have been, like, had to have been perfect. Yeah, and and, I don't know where he went, because she's pounding, like, when she's trying to unlock the door. And there's, like, a little bit of space for, like, being around the corner um, of the front door. I don't know. I don't know who did Mm -mm. it. I don't know how they did it. Maybe he was, like... Spider-Man style, like knocking down, like hanging above the door. That is very possible. Because that, remember the rafters? Yeah, that's actually very possible. Honestly, I was being sarcastic, but now I'm thinking it could be true. <laughs> yeah, because there is a part where we see the stranger in the rafters above the children's bedroom. So like it's not very athletic. Not possible. Well, yeah, that could be because I think because the way that the house is from the driveway there's like a long like porch thing mm-hmm. that uh, is against a wall 
and then you turn right and then you have like a few steps before you would get to the front door which, but then like on the right side of the front door it keeps going yeah. to go around the corner of the house and he could have been because uh, that might be like where the entryway and then there's like a little bit of space and then the aviaries around the way but there's like walking space yeah. around the whole aviary um it doesn't have any outside windows so i don't particularly remember like the height of that part because there is like where the living room is it's like yeah lofted oh. for these huge glass windows and then the second floor like there's stairs that go up but it's not the whole area isn't like a floor above right. it so it could be that it's you know if you're in the living room and then you go down to the front door he could have been on top of maybe that part and like banging that way unless there's like i think i don't remember for sure but like the front door like the entryway doors um, from the outside perspective does it wrap around like a uh, wrap around like walkway around the house I don't remember specifically, but it does. It yeah. So he could have just it does gone, up like, until where whoop. the windows are. Yeah. So it could have just been like a whoop. He could have been above it. We don't know. Yeah, I feel like he wouldn't have gone from the front door straight back to go to the mm -mm. path. I feel like that's too far. Yeah. So he would have been either above or really quick to go off yeah. to the side. Because they do show when Jill opens it and there's no one there, we get another scene like from the outside looking at Jill and there is like dead space next to the door, but there's no stranger there. Yeah. Because she looks so, at it. So he's got, he's above or he's off to the right. And rightfully so, she is terrified. Yeah. So then she um, resets the alarm. And then yeah, it locks, and like, there's, like, a top lock that, like, she pulls it down on the door. Which she'll realize is a mistake later. Well. Um, and we she, have. She did what she could. Yeah. So Jill sets the alarm for after the pounding on the door. She double locks the door. And then the phone rings again. But it's Bobby calling Jill after a little bit of, like, bad service. And she says something that I think is really funny. She's like, I won't be mad. Have you been calling me? And Bobby says that Cody called and pranked her one time, which was the combat boots and a parka prank call. But Jill wants to know if there were any other calls. And he says that he'll check, but then the phone disconnects. So she tries to call back, but you get one of those like user is not in service things, which used to happen. And then the phone rings again. She thinks it might be Bobby calling her, but she goes to the kitchen to get the cordless phone. And that one has caller ID. And it says that Tiffany is calling her, which I have something to say about this is because mm -hmm. when I make calls, people always say that it's my dad's name that comes up. So that was just like something because it said Tiffany Madison on it. And I'm like, well, my mine yeah. says Dennis when I call people. I, I get it for sense. the movie. Yeah, it depends on who the carrier, I guess, like the the owner of the line and carrier and stuff. Like, oh, as we know, uh, Tiffany, uh, Tiffany can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, cause she's dead. So that was a good one. Yeah, it's a good, good, good one. Oh, and it also works perfect because Tiffany Haddish did that little section on the Reputation Stadium tour. So, <laughs> oh, fuck Camilla Bell and what she did to Taylor Swift. But the phone rings. It says Tiffany, Jill answers it, and then there's nothing, and it just disconnects. So, yucky. Then we get to a little cutscene where we're at the bonfire, which we've seen it a couple times. 
Um, but then this time when I was watching it and I was, you know, just watching, it cuts to like kids like partying and doing whatever. And then this cheerleader who's dancing up on some guy, that's Diana Agron. <laughs> Most people will know her from Glee, but I know her. Um, I mean, from Glee, because I watched the first season of that show. But um, the that's pretty deep in the Swiftverse. So mm-hmm. all over the place stuff going on here. Um, she's not even, like, really credited. Like, I had to research and be like, is that Diane Hagron? Like, <laughs> do my eyes deceive me? So she's in that movie, but that's it. That's the only time you see her. So that must have been, like, her first movie or something. Mm-hmm. Just being, like, a background actor. But Jill is calling Scarlett, who still has bad service, and Scarlett says that, you know, everyone has bad service up there. They disconnect. Jill tries to call her dad, but there's no answer on the phone. And she's like, uh, can you please call me? Um, thanks. And then she tries yeah. to call the Mandrakises. Um, she calls a restaurant. They say that their party had left about 40 minutes ago because she's just scared. She's getting yeah. these phone calls. It looks like her friend's calling her, but it didn't have like the staticky sound like Bobby and Scarlett had. Mm-hmm. So then she decides to call the police and she calls it from the operator line instead of like a non-emergency line. And the operator's like, is it an emergency? And she says, yes, but then she says no. And this is like where it's really heartbreaking because it's like, you know, we get so filled with doubt, especially right. as women like, well, am I making a bigger deal out of this? And it is, but she is scared. And we know that she does have a reason to be scared because we saw the beginning of the movie where we know that he's a murderer. Yeah. So it's crazy. There's that. Um, but Jill calls the police and, and she's connected to Officer Burroughs, who um I can't remember what his name is, but it's Roy from the office. Never trust him. I'm telling yeah, you. He's bad. And Mooney from Logan Lucky with Adam Driver. So this is like related to Taylor Swift and Adam Driver, this movie. So like, it's for me. Jill is saying that she keeps getting calls and they're starting to freak her out. And she wants help. And Roy, he will, which, is, which was what he will be referred to, is just like, well, has he threatened you? Like, is he trying to break in? Is the alarm on? Like, okay, well, you're fine. And he's saying, like, you're right to call us, but we can't do anything unless there's, like, a credible threat. And I'm like, this is, like, a 17-year-old girl. Can y'all not do something? And And this is, like, when we did Creep. And Aaron's like, I'm being stalked. Like, I'm getting stuff sent to my house. And he's like, well, there's no threat, so we can't do anything. And guess what? These motherfuckers are dying because of that. Well, and I think that's what's so frustrating is, you know, the the system is set up to protect the the perpetrators, not the people. Like, and that's where, like, the patriarchy hurts everybody because it's like, it's protecting this man who is creeping and stalking on a 17-year-old girl. Like, and I'm sure a lot of the laws have changed. Like, I think I Googled it and it's like, one call can be considered harassment now if it's unwarranted Mm. unwanted i guess it probably depends on the state that you live in but i'm like in 2006 they did not have that you know yeah and so like and it's scary because the perpetrators are the ones who know the laws the best and they know the lines that they can't cross before they get into you know territory of being arrested or persecuted and that's what's terrifying is because it protects them not the victims yeah 
Um, and Jill's on the phone with Roy, and then she looks outside and she sees that Rosa's car is still there. And then the cop is like, Oh, well, see, there's two of you. Like, you'll be fine. Like, don't you feel better now? And she's like, Yeah, I guess. Which I mean, I would, but also I mean they're, they're just like, Well, there's not really anything I can do. Like, I don't yeah. fault the movie for that. Like, that's what happens in real Truly. life. And that's the, the frustrating part about it. The majority of the time the police are useless. So and it's so frustrating. Yeah. Um, I was watching, uh, this is a side note, but um, I was on Twitter and then I saw this video come up um, just the other day. And it was this girl saying um, that she went on like two dates with some guy, like from Tinder or, or like something. Mm-hmm. But they met and she was like, you know what? Like, I wish you the best. I just don't think that we're going to be a good fit. Have a nice life. And then this guy like started texting her all the time. And then um, it escalated to he would text her pictures of her house. He knew where she was coming and going, would text her pictures of her job. And then he would like be threatening her. And she tried to involve the police and had she said that she had a bunch of police reports um, and that the guy knew when she was going to the cops and stuff. And the guy was saying, like, if you get a restraining order on me, it's just a piece of paper. Right. And the girl didn't i i think for a while actually didn't get a restraining order because she's like well i mean he's right like the paper's not going right. to do anything and then she had tried to call the cops and stuff like when she was getting the texts like the, the guy was outside and then the cops would show up and like they couldn't find him uh-huh. and stuff like that so then she ended up moving changing her number but then um she said that when she moved and she had to change her voting address that's public right. information so he found her because of that and then the cycle started over again and then she had to get herself a gun she's like nobody's gonna help me nothing's gonna happen and then because the guy was like threatening her like saying he's gonna rape her he was gonna kill her yeah like and like all the while saying why won't you give me a chance kind of stuff and it's like why do men i i literally saw that tiktok today of that that girl's story so i know exactly who you're talking about and what was crazy to me is the police even talked to the or the detectives even talked to the guy and said he sounds like a nice guy oh yeah what do you you mean he's literally harassing and stalking this woman and she in the end he broke in and she had to shoot him and then the police got him that way because she didn't kill him Right, but he, he ran had off. like injuries that like slowed him down, and the dogs um, turned him. But oh, see, well now isn't she like out of? Isn't that guy like out of prison or something? I I I didn't see any updates after that. Like, I think he got sure. sent to like a rehab thing, not actual prison <gasps> Which or something. Is so infuriating if I that like... correctly. But I was watching it and I just got sucked in because mm-hmm. I, I think it was like a five minute long video. Yeah, I watched. Yeah, and I was like, I can't look away from this well, and my heart just broke for this girl it, because she has to carry that with her the rest of her life right she never wanted to cause harm to anybody no. but like she was all she did was just not want to date this one guy yeah well and you know what's even scarier is like so many women have similar stories to that mm-hmm. it's just awful that these situations happen well period but ima- imagine the fear if they hadn't caught this guy in the end of this movie you know yeah like also for the rest of your life like this guy knows your name he knows everything he needs to know about you to well that's the thing like with the first one is i don't think that jill 
seven years later knows right that he got Kurt Duncan has escaped his institution but after like we have like the little middle of the movie of him avoiding the detective he finds Jill because she had like some newspaper clipping mm-hmm. of like she like was like a gallery owner or like a real estate agent or like something where she had right. like her picture and name in the paper and he found her that way and just went to go like go finish what he started which as the like why did law enforcement not notify her right away like why was she not at the top of the list of like hey this man who called her asked you and said i want your blood all over me um he's loose now be cautious why did they not have someone protecting her i can't remember so in the old one the detective who caught him the first time had left the force Mm-hmm. And then another, like, beat cop at the time was now, like, higher up in the police force, if I remember correctly. The detective who left, like, had, like, a chip on his shoulder because this was, like, you know, a case that traumatized him. He found out that Kurt Duncan escaped, went and told, like, his old buddy. He was like, I'm going to find this guy and, like, I'm going to kill him. Yeah. So. Yeah, I remember him saying that, like, he, like his whole goal was to just kill the guy so that he could never do it again. But. I Even in that process. I can't remember like, if they had said if they were going to tell Jill or not. I don't I don't remember. remember. If they Explore. did, then they might have just been like, you know, it's been so long, like, we don't need to, like, scare her. But I don't remember that conversation. I think if they told her, she never would have even left the house to go on oh the exact gosh. and done the exact thing that happened when she was babysitting. Like, the parents going out to the restaurant, the kids going to sleep. Like, they were recreating the very beginning of that movie. And I was like, please don't do this to her. Yeah, because Kurt Duncan sees Jill's picture in the paper. And then her husband had gotten, like, some kind of promotion. So they were going out to a dinner, left the kids with a babysitter. Which I think, like, just, I mean, that girl must have had some good therapy or something. Because I don't think I could ever have kids, leave them alone with a babysitter. After what happened there, but well, and in addition to that, like the the phone rang and she had no reaction to it, and I was like, "Good for her, good for her for not like being terrified of answering the phone or having your children answer the phone." Oh my gosh, can you imagine like that happening to you in 1979, but then like living now, which Carol Kane is still alive, but like having that situation happen to you in 1979 when it really was just like home phones, and then living now where we all carry our phones and our phones are ringing all the time. I would be in an insane asylum. I'm like, I never want to hear another phone ring ever again. Nope, 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 nope. Very scary. Back to 2006. Yes. Just 2006, Jill, gets some semblance of comfort from thinking Rosa is still in the house. Officer Burroughs, aka Roy, tells her, you know, call back if it's still happening. Let us know if it escalates any further. And so... Dumb stuff. Yeah. She hangs up and then we get another phone call. And this phone well, call is- she first goes running. She looks around the house. She gets Rosa's number oh, and she's okay. trying to call Rosa because she thinks that she's still there. And she hears the phone ringing and then she ends up finding Rosa's person keys and phone in some little closet. Mm-hmm. And then she goes to look at it and she's like, okay, well, this is the phone I've been calling. Like, where is Rosa? But then this like door that she had opened like closes behind her and then why the fuck who hung up like this hat 
and coat and stuff behind the door so it looks like there's a man back there that horrified me terrified yeah. i was like <gasps> so yeah. scary well and it's like that only happens in the movies because i was literally watching the color purple yesterday i was showing yuri the movie and in the part where she's looking for the letter she turns around and it's a coat with a hat on top and she gets scared because she thought she got caught but <laughs> it was just a coat and a hat and she just shoves it to the side but i'm like this nobody has things like that in their house or shouldn't at least i mean stop doing things that. in my house scare me for sure but i don't have my hats are arranged differently and then there's the part in the commentary for this movie um the director's like and now we're in for like the legit scare so like pretty much everything from this point on is like no more red herrings right all scary it's real so the phone rings and then we get the iconic line have you checked the children and it's interesting i think that this movie plays out really well to use that because in the first 20 minutes of the original uh kurt duncan calls and says have you checked the children a few times right and jill 1979 jill never checked on them which saved her life essentially it saved her life and those kids were dead so uh uh-oh oopsies but this movie Jill does go check on the kids. They're sleeping. And then she goes back downstairs. The phone rings again. And then the voice says, how were the children? So Jill is terror just shoots across her because, and then she calls the police back right away and says that the guy can see her. He knew when she went upstairs, she had shut all the curtains on the windows. And then Roy? Or the are the doors locked? Oh, then you're fine. If you wanted to be in there, he'd be in there. like that's not comforting. Are you it's kidding? It's not comforting. Me? And then then um Roy asks her for like the address and everything because they'll set up um a trace on the phone line if she can keep him on the line for a minute or longer. And she's like, he doesn't stay on the phone for more than a few seconds. And he's like, just try. So she does try, and he's like well, if I can send a car, it'll be at least 20 minutes. And I'm like, um... Send it. Send it. I'm like, what send a car anyway. Yeah. Like, because especially, like, she said, like, the guy is outside. Like, that he can see right. her. She, he knew when she went upstairs. Send the car anyway, because maybe, if nothing else, it'll just spook the guy and make him go away. Right. Like, if you really Cause... think that there's nothing that's going to happen to this girl... Why not just give her some level of comfort? Why? Well, and I think, Why did you have like, to be a dick? She, when she gives him the address, he says, oh, I know where that's at. So if you know where that's at, you know she's in the middle of nowhere with no neighbors. Yep. Like, she can't reach out to somebody. Like, there's no one around her. So, like, in a normal neighborhood, you would be able to, like, leave your house and be in another one in, like, 30 seconds and ask for help. Well, yeah, and like, they already had a conversation because Roy was like, you know, are there any friends that can come up there and stay with you? And she said that they're all at the bonfire. And he's like, oh, yeah, like, we've got a couple patrol cars up there to make sure things go crazy. It's like, okay, so you do understand about preventative measures. Send the goddamn car. Get in one yourself, Roy. Oh, it's so fucking annoying. I mean, given his character, you know, being engaged to someone for three to four years, it's going to take him a while to get to the house. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Um... (laughs) So Jill and uh, Roy hang up and then the stranger calls. He is only online on the line for like 50 seconds. 
And she's looking out the window to kind of see if she can see where he is because she said she can't see him, but she knows that he has to be outside because she wouldn't think that he's in the house. Right. Because your your assumption is if somebody is harassing me and not hurting me yet, then they're not in the house yet. Like if he was in the house, he would have already like made himself known. Like that would make sense to me. But Good for her for knowing how, like, practicing her little stopwatch thing on her thing. I was like, oh. I know everything because she had her stopwatch in the beginning when she was running. Mm-hmm. Everything in this movie pays fucking off. This is yep. a great movie, unnamed podcast. So she sees a light in the guest house turn on when she's checking through the curtains to see if she can see the man. And she remembers that the phone number for the guest house is on the refrigerator. So she calls the guest house to see if Todd is over there and she just gets a voicemail. She leaves a voicemail trying to be like, hey, can you come over please? Because I'm scared. Um, When she told, she said on the voicemail that she had called the police and then I have thoughts about this because the light goes on. She calls because she thinks somebody's there. She leaves the voicemail that says that she called the police and asks for Todd, quote unquote Todd, to come stay with her until they get there. And then she sees the shadow going over the window. It goes one way and then it comes back around. So she knows for sure that somebody is over there. But we know it's not Todd. But just in general, I wonder, the stranger could have at that point, I, I know that, you know, this wasn't in the script, but he could have been like, well, I've been invited over there and she doesn't know who Todd is or what Todd looks like. So I could go over there. But, mm. but that's not Yeah, but I think, no, but I think he knows he's probably too old to pass for a college student, maybe. I mean, probably, but if she opened the if door, he, then. Mm. Yeah, invitation <laughs> accepted. <laughs> too late. Yeah. Um, but that's when she decides to run to the guest house so she grabs a candlestick and a flashlight and turns off the alarm unlocks like the side door back door whatever it is and then takes off running she sets the alarm again when she gets outside and takes off running so we have been set up that jill is an athlete oh and Throughout this whole movie, like, I feel like the weather changes a little bit. Like, it started out, it was fine. But then, like, when we saw the outside with Tiffany, it was very dark. It was getting windy. And then now, I feel like it's even windier. So, like, I feel like as the story progresses, like, the storm definitely progresses. Because it does get very, very windy outside. So, she's booking it through, like, this little dirt trail which good for her for picking the right trail because it was longer than i thought when she was running yeah i mean it's like the length of the lake or something yeah so she makes it to the guest house and she gets inside but nobody is there and then the stranger calls and stays on for longer than a minute and she's like gotcha but then she looks down at the phones because she took the house phone with her just in case like somebody called and she realizes that the phones are different and that the number is different so it didn't get traced and broke her heart the way that like my stomach fell into my butt at that point because she's like (laughs) you called the wrong phone line and i'm just like honestly she figured it out faster than i would have because i would have been like did you get it did you get it like well i i wonder if he knew i well i wonder like if the stranger knew right that calling the wrong house phone would be fine for longer than a minute 
Well, yeah, I I think that, but I wouldn't, I don't know, like, specifically, like, if somebody's trying to trace the call, like, the cops or the FBI or whatever, like, do they know immediately or is there a processing time? Because she hangs up the phone and she's like, I gotcha. And then I think that she's kind of, like, waiting for, like, the police to call her Mm -hmm. to, like, be like, okay, like, we got him, everything's fine. And that's when she thinks about the, the phone that she had didn't ring. Yeah. So I wonder, is it, like, for the movie that it's like, oh, you know, I would have had a call right away if they had the line right away or if it was you know just like wait the phone didn't ring right um but uh i tell you so she has to run well before she runs back to the house she looks out the window again and she sees the light come on where it's supposed to be like rosa's little suite Mm -hmm. in the main house so she's like running back because she thinks Rosa's still in the house. And I right. I swear to you. So the first time I watched this movie, like I borrowed my friend's DVD for it. And I had to stop the movie and like go sit out like in the living room with my parents for like a half hour. I was so fucking stressed out <laughs> about this girl's journey and like everything that was happening to her. Cause like I had like my windows closed and it was dark and my door was closed. And I was like laying on like the end of my bed, like right in front of the TV. I was so spooked and I like came out because my my mom did not want me watching this movie anyway she was really mad that I borrowed it but like she let me watch it still so then I went out there and I like sat by my mom and she's like oh is your movie over and I'm like no (laughs) I'm like y'all got some popcorn or something I gotta chill out and she was like oh gosh and she's like this is why I said you shouldn't watch it and uh my dad thought it was kind of funny and I mean and it is kind of funny but I tell you I I don't think I've really ever had like moments of that where I'm like I cannot watch this like I need to take a break <laughs> I couldn't believe it and I'm like girl she's just running but I was so scared right. you didn't know what was gonna happen it's fine well and I hadn't seen the original at that point so like yeah I thought I, I mean I just assumed everyone was gonna die yeah it was so scary to me fair assumption so yeah she's running back to the original house she falls a little bit drops does she drop the flashlight yeah or the and i'm like oh god but she just keeps booking it and i'm like okay the more power to you because ugh. yeah she did not stop you focus on something in the distance and run for it like nothing else exists because that's what she was doing so she gets to the house and she goes up to rosa's room and she's in the bedroom and the stranger calls and she's like okay this is my opportunity well the stranger calls like when she's starting to go up there because because there's like the main stairs she has to go up and then she has to go like down around the hallway and then there's like i hate to call it like a servant's quarters but there's like a servant's quarters like off on like the back side there's like has like one set of stairs and then another set of stairs in the bedroom so they're talking on the phone this whole time and i am just like wheezing Yeah, and you can kind of tell, like, it's not really their section of the house because it's not decorated, like, the remainder of the house. And when she gets into the bedroom, you can tell it's, like, an individual person's place. But she... Well, now that you say that, I was talking about the decorations and stuff, you are correct. But, like, I actually can't believe you haven't talked about how many fucking statues are in this house. Oh, I think I just put it away from my head because I hated it. I Whoever decorated the house is on my shit list because... The creepy ass statues, like you really want to like get cereal at midnight and be like, ugh, every single time. Yeah, there's like one at like the top of the stairs, like near the kids' bedroom. That like it's like a man standing, but like his limbs are like dripping and they're all like in anguish. And then there's one you said like you thought it was like in the window behind her, so you thought yes. that it was like him. Oh, 
Yeah, I, I don't like it. No statues in houses, please. So as Jill is on the phone with the stranger trying to keep him on the line as long as she possibly can. She tells him the police are going to come, keeps asking him, like, what do you want? And then finally, we get a coherent, the second coherent sentence, third, I guess, out of him, where he says, your blood all over me, which is also a ref, yeah, which is also a reference to the 1979 um, movie, because that's what he also says. And it is also creepy when he says it in that one. I think that this one is also a little worse. I watched something that they said that the way that Kurt Duncan said it in the 1979 movie was like creepier because his voice is like softer and stuff. And this is like, your blood all over me. But I'm like, okay, well, one, this is Lance Henriksen, who is like a horror king who is the voice. So, um, shut up. But Jill's response to this was, like, much more visceral. Because in the other one, she just, like, hangs up the phone and she's, like, spooked and, like, grossed out. But, like, this yeah. one, she's, like, ah! Like, yeah. actually reacts to it. So. And the fact that she has to think about, okay, you can't just hang up on him right away. Is, like, because that's, that's honestly your first instinct is you want to be, like, Ugh. I know. She, like, no. checks her phone and hangs up. And it's been over a minute. And then, so she's in Rosa's room now. She has heard the shower running so maybe rose is in the shower but she goes in there opens the shower curtain there's nothing in the shower so she turns off the water she gets the call and she's like stop calling me but then it's roy and what does roy say the call is coming in from inside the house and then it's like push pull all the lights go off everything's dark the phone line gets cut everything's done girl is isolated and then from behind her again tiffany's cell phone rings and she turns around and there's tiffany's body with the phone lighting up her face face. oh it's a beautiful shot like katie Cassidy, she done dead (laughs) i think that jill had a really good scream to it and then she's trying to get out and she like slinks down the hallway and like around the corner and she's looking for everything because this is also a humongous house so while Mm -hmm. the stranger could be anywhere you have to assume that he's right there right so assume the worst at all times sounds like a normal day yeah so she like sneaks around and then she's standing in front of that like fucking statue and then she looks between the kids room and the stairs and you can just see her (laughs) hear her father's words like running in her head like when it hurts when it's not easy that's when responsibility counts and like you see her like rest her head on the wall behind her and she's like she's like gotta go see these motherfucking kids fucking kids um and this part this like next part i was like fuck all of that um because she goes into the kids room and she sees like the lumps on the beds and pulls a bag and it's pillows and i was like oh fuck he's already got the kids he already got them and he's tricking her um but she goes into like the kids closet and there's we can't decide what it is it's like a play room or a bathroom or i i think it's a playroom type i really i don't know but it's got like a toy box 
Starbucks in it with like one corner of a blanket or something sticking out. And honestly, I'm I'm glad she saw it because I would have never noticed that. That is too small of a detail for me. And she opens it and the children are hiding inside the toy box, which good for them. But it makes me wonder like what they heard or saw. Like, did they hear her scream and then went in the toy box? Did they see something? I, they don't really explain it. But basically, she gets the kids, they get out of the toy box. And when they try to leave this play bathroom, toy box room and go into their bedroom again, we see up in like the rafters their ceiling has like wooden rafters across it and there's a shadow of a man crouched in the fucking ceiling yeah because when joe was getting the kids out of the toy box the lights all turned back on and the kids have like this like spinny light music thing so when she gets in there she's like um and then she looks up and there's a fucking stranger and what's interesting and i didn't think about this before now like the kids never speak and they're like seven yeah they're old enough like they're old enough to like have like some brains they have they can have conversations yeah, but they never speak. They're just like crying, whimpering, screaming the whole time. Not in an annoying way. Like it is very believable. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, they never say anything. Cause like, cause Jill, when she pulls open the thing, the kids like are covering their mouths. So like, they're not super loud at first. And then she introduces, she's like, I'm Jill. I'm the babysitter. And then the kids yeah, believe this is her. A, which is, is like, for the kids, there's two strangers in this house because they've never met Jill before. Right. But so the fact she's a woman and a child helps her case of like, I'm not going to murder you. Right. So Jill sees the stranger on the rafters. She goes back in that little room and shuts the door and she takes this like lamp and winds it around. There's like coat hooks next to the door. So that's why I thought maybe it was a bathroom because they're like towel hooks. But then there's like that big toy box in there and we really don't see anything else in this room. Yeah. Other than like the little window at the bottom. Yeah. So we don't really know exactly, but she takes this lamp and ties it between the little coat hook the doorknob that's like one of like the long handle doorknobs it's not like the round doorknob and then the little door hinge so she's like three-way tying it like all together to and then there's like banging on it like the stranger's trying to get in there and there was something from the commentary like camilla bell actually tied it so tight when they were filming it because there's a little window into the aviary that jill tells the kids to go through while she's tying the thing and then the stranger's on the other side trying to kick the door down and then we end up seeing him like give it a good like three or four big kicks before he can get it open enough but camilla bell tied it so tight like it wasn't supposed to take three or four kicks (laughs) she said fight or flight survival kicked in yeah she she wasn't acting anymore she was like this is real she um i know that this movie came out way before the whole joe jonas taylor swift thing but she was pre-preparing for what swifties were gonna do to her although honestly she got off way easier we could talk about better than revenge another day but i will only sing the original version of that song moving on so the children escape into the aviary through like this little rectangle window at the bottom of the floor and jill follows them and jill pulls the kids like over to that corner because all the lights are moving so she thinks 
that the lights are turning on and off where the stranger is walking in and out of rooms. Mm. And then like the stair light comes on, but then it's just Chester on the stairs. So then Jill has like this moment where she's like backed up against the opposite wall. And she's like, oh shit, if the cat's there, that means, and she turns around and then the stranger's right behind her on the other side of the glass. Jump scare. Yeah, jump scare. And he like puts his hands up like on the window, like framing his body. And then he just like slides them down the window and it's v scary and then she remembers oh hey the misters work so she turns on the mister and honestly you can't see anything yeah and it the goes children, like full power the children are hiding in like the corner behind some bushes i think and so she gets into the water to hide under this like little bridge and as soon as she gets into the water we find rosa who is weighed down with some rocks and she does like the underwater screen thing i'm like uh yeah yeah, yeah. and i thought that it was really good that she got in there because like as she's like sinking down in the water the camera like pans down with her and then there's like a little fountain in the foreground so it's not like she's getting in and disturbing still water it's like the water was already moving yeah so I thought that that was a really smart shot yeah and so she's kind of like she has her head out of the water under the bridge because the mist is still going and she can see his feet moving and then she sees the children and she's trying to wait until he's far enough away from the children and then she finally tells them okay go 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 but because yeah, he left worst... the like aviary door open when yeah. he came in the aviary and the worst possible thing happened and the sprinklers stopped and the children ran out screaming well one of them like stepped on like the little gravel thing and it yeah. made a noise so he saw them yeah and so they booked it out of there and they couldn't escape because Jill put the top lock on the front door so they're like trying to jump to like unlock the front door and I'm like are there no other doors that you could go out of you can't find a stool do like the two person like I I know they're kids so they panicked but yeah it it's so sad because you're like no like the thing that was supposed to protect <laughs> you yes um and so in the instance of this the stranger can finds jill under the water and is like it's a pretty cool like fight kind of scene because he's reaching under the bridge as she like ducks him and like he's trying to grab her from each side when she's under the water and he no- she notices that he's like all on one side she kicks it and flips him into the water Mm-hmm. And so she gets out and tries to run away. And as she's trying to get out, he grabs her hair. And then she's closing the door on her hair so that he can't get out. And oh, the pain. Yeah, the, it's it's a really good shot. The roots came out and all yes. with that chunk of hair. She's got broke. like the door shut behind her, like her arm behind her back, like fiddling for the lock. And she like can't move because he's got her hair. That ripping sound. Bleh. Yeah. I know that shit hurt. Mm-mm. I mean, honestly, her hair is thinner than ours is, but I feel like he ripped my hair. Like it was a chunk. And then there was like the director's commentary. So he like, he's banging on the door trying to break hair. through the glass and her her chunk of hair is in his hand. I guess like it wasn't necessarily in the script that he bangs her the door with her hair in his hand, but it was like just the shot that they got. Mm-hmm. So it was it adds to it a lot too. Yeah. 
So Jill's running around trying to find the kids. She she did go to the front door and like undo that top lock. I wish she would have opened the door. Right. But she didn't. Um, Take a step away. I wish she would have run out, but she didn't. <laughs> she had to go find the kids and there's like banging and then like the music has like strings and it's getting like dun, 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 dun. and she's running around like trying to find the kids telling them like we have to go, we have to go. And then this is one thing. So she's running all over the bottom floor of the house and then she goes into the parents room past the bedroom into the bathroom and then she opens up like the closet doors there's no way those closets that they show are bigger than her room so that's just like a little thing where like in the beginning of the movie it worked because we didn't see it and it was left to our imagination but now i'm like okay you showed me and i know that that's not the part of the movie i'm supposed to like be taking away in this moment but i know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so when she's running out of the parents room this was something from the commentary too it's like the music has gotten like so intense that you don't necessarily realize that the banging has stopped so jill runs back through the living room and then she's looking on the stairs and then she sees one of the birds that was in the aviary and she like stops and looks at it and then she's looking around and then she finds like a little alcove where one of like the floor window things was busted out and then there are a bunch of birds coming out and then chester is eating one of the birds and it's really sad poor birdie i know but but and there's also like water on the floor so you can like see his like footsteps out of there so you like you know yeah so he's out it's a really good like fake out and then jill finds the kids in the fireplace idiots i did see i mean it wasn't the first place she looked so i mean they hit i i saw one uh one person's review of this and i thought it was kind of funny they were like listen I yelled two times, you don't come out, I'm gone. And I was like, honestly? That is so funny that you say that because I think I saw the same review and it was after you and I did like our little watch for this and you said, I'm calling your name two times if you don't come, (laughs) I'm gone. And I forgot about the review. I think I know exactly which one you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Katrina said the same thing. (laughs) I was like, I feel that in my soul. Like, listen, I don't know you kids from like nobody like you're nobody to me yeah i have like literally i found you in a box okay that's i did my part (laughs) she's Uh, she's really working to pay off that cell phone bill for sure i mean do you think that they're like she could file against the owner's like home insurance policy to get like a payout from that um i don't think that by the end of the movie this is the least of her problems i'm just saying she could pay a lot of cell phone bills if because i mean if you get hurt on someone one's property like you can sue them and their homeowner's insurance has to pay for that if they got that house they got a good home insurance policy i guarantee that i bet so they may be nice enough to pay for some of it anyway who knows i'm like they got say you saved my children here's some money well yeah i mean they have money 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 anyway yeah but go ahead oh so she gets the kids out, but Jill is attacked and the kids run. I mean, as they should, even though they, even though she saved them, they don't try to save her. Well, they're like all about to get out the front door, but she has the kids go in front of her and then the stranger like grabs her from behind. Right. So she was on her way out. And honestly, they probably would have made more trouble being in there than not. Yeah. So this is really, so this is really where we see like Jill's ability to like think and fight because she, she wants to live i tell you that what's that like Um, (laughs) 
I'll let you know when I find out. <laughs> um, she tries to run up the stairs. And honestly, these stairs scare me because there's like no good handrails on either side of them. And they're uh, like see-through stairs. Like they're just like the yes. floating stairs. Oh, I, I, would, I would feel nauseous going up them every time. Um, she tries to run up and he like grabs her ankle and she falls and Ooh. yeah, knocks Ooh. the wind out of her. That right well, there would have been like, I'm good. And they do that. Like, I think I counted like three or four times. Like she yeah. like tries to kick and like go up and he like grabs Keeps her grabbing. and like, pulls her down. And then like they do it again. And then he like grabs her by like the belt loop and like mm-hmm. drags her down. And you can see it like through the stairway, like on the other side, like she like, you know, hits her chest and stomach. And then like, it's like her chin bouncing, like boom. down the stairs and then i love this part i'm fucked up i love this part he grabs her and like throws her and she hits her face on like the glass that's on like the side of it Mm -hmm. which um according to the commentary wasn't exactly supposed to happen but it was a good shot and it was not like (laughs) incident in a ghost land where that girl hit glass and had to get like 80 stitches in her face camilla bell is fine yeah um and then jill like he the stranger's like on top of her like from behind and then she like can move and like kicks him and then they both fall off the side and jill gets up and like runs over him and the stranger trips her but she like runs around the one side of the fireplace and he runs around the closest side and knocks over all like the fireplace tool things remotes and tools yeah Yeah. oh and there was this shot i didn't take a note of it but then i remembered when i was watching it that she like kind of dives over the coffee table and it's just a really good shot of her like swiping away the phone from the coffee table so it's like you know the phone is like no longer which i mean it hasn't been for a little bit but it's like gone like this thing that like was such a big deal for most of the movie yeah so he ends up like they break does she break the tequila bottle on him or does it Uh, just break in the fall he's got her on her back trying to choke her and then she grabs the tequila bottle thanks tiffany and she tries to throw it at him but she like you know swings too like wide and then it like crashes over the fireplace which inevitably helps her but as she's getting choked she's like trying to inch towards the remote uh, because earlier in the movie she was trying to figure out how to turn the TV on but accidentally turned on like some loud ass opera in the fireplace so she grabs the fireplace remote and turns it on which with the tequila causes it to make like a big whoosh and like singes him probably yeah like it's and, like stunned him at least enough like I don't he, know what like the he word lets is go. yeah but it, he lets go basically of her and in that she's able to get up and grab the fireplace poker and like stabs him in the hand with it which don't i'm just gonna say double tap that's all but i get it not everybody's not everybody's a killer double tap i can kind of get i thought you were gonna say like stab him through like the neck or head or something but my idea of that is that fireplace poker is only a couple inches so stabbing through his hand like you know stakes him in at some point versus like stabbing him and like maybe it doesn't stop him enough i just had this thought of like if she had a different sport that would determine how she ended this fight because personally i played softball so in my hands that poker is a bat yeah like i'm hitting him upside the head with it like a bat you know i'm not much of a stabber person but for her track it's basically i just need to run so she's making it to where she's buying herself time to run away because that's what she knows what to do like she knows to run because that's track she runs that's very true yeah so she like stabs him down and then there's like a thing from the 
commentary it's like she like brings it down with both hands and then she's like holding on and then like let's go for a second and like looks at it and I remember the director being like talking about like the mentality and about like what the actress did and it's like it plays off really well because it's like one of those things where like she's even stunned at like her own action Uh about it but then she gets up and takes off and then it's like you know like a slow-mo-ish kind of a thing and then she runs out the door into Roy Roy Roy. about time you got here slow ass motherfucking Roy I'm pretty sure this took longer than 20 minutes so we know he didn't send the car especially when you consider like I I think that like the times that she's recording on her watch throughout the movie I think are pretty accurate I I would have to go back and like exactly time them but they it doesn't feel like it's like 10 seconds like I feel like the minute is a minute anyway she's safe though now right so right now like watching this my fear was oh my god they're gonna go back in there and it's just gonna be a poker like a bloody poker and he's gonna be gone but they do grab him and they do catch him the scary guy is in custody but we all know that that don't mean nothing well so then we cut to like jill has like a police blanket on her she's waiting at like the back of like a a an ambulance like on a paramedic truck and then we see like the kids like the parents have come back by now so they're like so happy their kids are safe and then Roy comes up and talks to Jill and Jill's like where is he Roy says that he's in the back of this cop car he has enough sedatives to kill a horse he like nothing's gonna hurt you and then it looks like Roy like has like a lot of compassion because like obviously this girl is like fucked up like she's the rest of her life done for yeah and then he's just like take care Jill and I'm like wow and then we go to (laughs) a hospital and then there's like a couple balloons and when the balloons pop and balloons are kind of like a theme throughout this because there's a ton of balloons at the beginning carnival a balloon like covers over the title card like walking past it and then all of the screams from when the stranger killed like the first people then like a red balloon is like let go and like just drifts off so now there's balloons in jill's hospital room one of them pops and wakes her up she's alone in the hospital room then goes out and then there's no one in the hospital which is probably like my least favorite trope in movies because i'm like there's always like 10 billion people in hospital and the only reason she goes out there is because her call light isn't working like she's trying because i'm like otherwise i'm like i'm not moving (laughs) there's no way but it's gotta be super unsettling to like walk out and it just be empty and you're like okay the apocalypse has happened because that's how all apocalypse movies start but then the phone rings inside her hospital room and she just Uh goes back inside and she's like by the door but looking through to where the phone is like on the bedside table and she just looks at it while it rings a couple times and then it stops ringing and then she like breathes a little sigh of relief turns around to go shut her hospital room door and then the strangers in the mirror behind it and grabs her so that wakes her up from her nightmare that she's having where there are like nurses in the room with her trying to hold her down her dad is in there trying to like calm her down she's like done for and then we just like pan out of her room like backwards pan back through a hallway there's a couple like doctors that like start to run in there then there's this like nurse standing at the nurse's station just like standing there like watching the commotion happening but he doesn't move or do anything (laughs) and I think that that's funny then it's over the end that girl is traumatized for life she's done yeah that is when a stranger calls 2006 
made with several references to the 1979. The uh, 1993, When a Stranger Calls Back, like I said, is super, super scary. That one has Carol Kane and um, the detective, Charles Durning, they reprise their roles in that. It was a TV movie, um, but it's really, really scary. And I think that you should watch it. I think it's, I can't remember what it's on. I'll look at it and I'll text it to you, but you should watch okay, it and I yeah. won't tell you what happens because I watched that. I watched that in the daytime when I was a kid after I had seen both of these and I was just like, <laughs> so I guess like for some people it's like home invasion movies which I guess this kind of is some people it's like aliens but like for me it's like phone calls I'm like uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. my phone has been on silent since 2012 have you seen uh what's some there's a movie with like is it called the call or like I know that called the... the call with Halle it... Berry I know that like the front cover image or whatever it's called is like a phone and it's got like a little scream mouth thing on it. Like one missed call. Yes. Yeah. I saw that when it came out. That, yeah. That one. Mm-hmm. I think that that was like a, an Asian horror movie that they repurposed. Like, cause that was all at the same time. Like, I mean, Ringu was made into Probably the ring like, in 2002, like early, but like the, like the, the aughts, the like grudge. the, yeah, the ring, the grudge, the uninvited shutter mm-hmm. there. I mean, there's a ton of them that were like one was call that were like asian horror movies that were american made yeah during that decade craziness what what thoughts do you have about this i know we kind of talked through the whole thing i love this movie I it's just effective i did like this movie i um i wasn't gonna tell you yuri's reaction to it she got bored and quit watching it halfway <laughs> okay but that's what yuri does like on literally everything every single movie which was why i was very surprised that she watched the color purple two and a half hours straight with me in the first try i'm like wow this never happens but, i just um, like unsettling movies and especially like, to go ahead i like movies that make me think and I, I like that this really, like, it came together very nicely. The ending and the use of everything, like, tied it up in a nice little bow. Really, at the end of it, you're like, okay, everything makes sense. But I do sometimes like to have movies that you can, like, theorize with and, like, kind of, like, use your own ending to it or like use your own theories but it's also nice to have a movie do it for you yeah this is a really good it's pg-13 it has a beginning middle and end i like that every device they introduce is ending like is used in some way it's in and out they use it well they don't throw something in there just for argument's sake everything fit well well, that's what I think. I've seen, and I remember when this movie came out, a ton of people were like, this movie sucks, this movie's crap. And I was reading like reviews and things like that for the podcast. And people were like, like so many, like just, it's just jump scares and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, but what are the jump stairs? Using the fireplace poker, using the misters, Chester coming out. Mm-hmm. All of these things, like they do play into it. And yeah, like- It's a scary movie. It's supposed to have a jump scare. Like It's, it's supposed so- to have jump scares. It's tense. You, you don't know as an audience- member which of the calls that she's getting are you know friend or foe yeah jump- she has her own story with like her friends in high school that and turned think- into this night i'm sorry i'm interrupting you no you're fine like in the jump scares that they use they build up tension and then they kind of relieve it which is really important for jill because if it was just tension 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 and scary then she would have opted out really quick and the movie would have been over exactly because she had all these like jump scares but oh it's just a cat oh it's just the ice maker rosa's here it made the movie what it was because logically she would have never stayed there maybe or maybe not there i guess you could argue that like oh she found rosa 
Rose's keys and Rose's car was out there, she could have taken that. But she's also the babysitter who has to take care of these kids and stay there. So yeah, it's... well, in the branch is probably still there. She thinks that he's out there. She's in more danger in her mind outside than she is in the house. Like she doesn't know he's in the house at this point. Yeah. So the majority of the movie. That's just like the whole thing. It's like, I think that for everything this movie is trying to do and what it accomplishes, like it's pretty top notch. I know that like Marissa, she was like, I don't really like this movie. And she didn't want to rewatch it with me for the podcast, even though it was my (laughs) birthday episode. But I was like, fine, I will watch it by myself. And then you know what I texted her? I'm very scared. Well, and I think that's something that like I lack is like, you're like, oh, watch it when it's dark. Watch it when it's like really scary. It's like, uh, it really like, I don't normally get scared by scary movies in that sense, because I'm not thinking about it like that all the time. But I will say when I went to the movies and I watched The Nun 2, I was very scared. And I'm not normally scared by movies. Oh my gosh. But I know that, I mean, um, I know I told you, but just like to say to the three people who listen to this podcast, I went to see The Nun 2 in the first showing that it was doing. So it was last Thursday and I it was showing on like the grand screen. And when I got there to like buy my ticket, because like my thing was messing up on my phone, there were like six or seven chairs that said that they were used and then the guy was like oh I think like you're the only person that's in there and I was like well there are other chairs marked off and he was like we just have them marked off because like the reclining feature doesn't work so they're not in there so I was in the biggest theater that they have all by my fucking self and if we're gonna talk about any horror character that gets me the most besides Art the Clown it's fucking Valak so (laughs) I was I was in there and I was like oh And I I had to get on my phone a couple of times and I have like the tightest theater etiquette. I don't talk. I hardly breathe. I don't touch my phone, but I was so afraid. And I kept like looking around me at some point because <laughs> I've seen videos from like other people who went and saw the nun, like previews and stuff where like there were like nun characters that like came out and like sat in the seats. And I was like, you know what? There's nobody here at four o'clock on a Thursday and these theater people know I'm the only one in here. What if they want to come and fuck with me right now? So I was just working myself up. I was really scared. I like got on my phone when I knew like nothing was happening at the moment. I'm like, I gotta just look at Twitter for a minute. I just gotta remind myself what (laughs) world I'm living in. Like I was scared. I really can't wait to watch the movie again, like either with someone or at home so I can like watch it Uh and like know I'm completely safe because I I was so afraid. It was was fun, but I was like, (laughs) yeah, I would definitely recommend. It's very good. Um, Now, when it comes to when a stranger calls would I put it in my top 10 list for me personally no but I know that this is your birthday episode so when a stranger calls 2006 for your viewing and ear pleasure yeah so hopefully we made that fun um like we said we are going to Mexico next week on a cruise so I'm gonna have this up while we're in Mexico so we'll be um not drinking tequila because we didn't get the drink package but we will have a bottle of water for you to listen to this and then hopefully we will have two episodes out for the month of October but do you want to say what you want to say what our next episode's gonna be so for Friday the 13th in October we're doing Friday the 13th and I know I said that weird but it's and then for Halloween we're gonna do Halloween because we're very original yeah (laughs) but it, it works out and it'll I think it'll just be fun Thank you guys for listening. We hope that you enjoyed our episode and we look forward to hearing from you. Find us on Twitter or Instagram to request a movie or even just to discuss your thoughts. 
at boozeandboobs. Or send us an email, boozeandboobs at gmail.com. Yeah, and we're working on turning this into a thing. So if you can please follow us on Patreon, our account there is Booze and Boobs also. And what are some of the benefits to joining our Patreon? Oh, Katrina, I am so glad that you asked. As a patron, you will get early release episodes, bloopers, uh, mini episodes where we showcase uh, scenes from the movies that we're talking about or just conversations that we're having that we had to cut from our recording. All that and more. And they're fun tiers. You can be an A cup, a C cup, or you can join the Triple D Plus group like us. We truly appreciate your support and we look forward to growing our following to create more content for listeners like you. So we'll see you next time or else. Yeah, let's end it with a threat. Thank you.